Okay, we're recording. What's up, dear listener? And welcome to another episode of the Torch Podcast. I am your co-host, Nathan Libehusen, and with me is, as always, is... Your most favorite uh, podcast host, Devin Bindle. And we, we want you to join us on this journey of relentless curiosity and normalizing civil discussions about everything from our fundamental rights to political philosophy to finance to foreign policy. All of this from two regular dudes wearing hats that hate politics and love human flourishing. Oh, yeah, let's get this thing going. Um, well, how, how's it going over there in uh, Colorado, Nathan? It's gorgeous, man. It's 75 and sunny already. I'm going to go hiking later. Um, but we, we've oh, got an important topic we wanted to bring up today first and get out to you guys. Yeah, I'm super jealous. Uh, I'm in Louisville and it's uh, not not as beautiful over here, um, but uh, looking for some good weather in the coming weeks. Um, but anyways, we've been uh, hearing back from you guys, quite a few of the listeners, um, and been getting some feedback. So we're um, we're really excited to throw this episode back at you guys um, and, and just see kind of what you think about it. But if anybody else has uh, any important feedback, uh, feel free to reach out to us at our Twitter account, uh, The Torch Pod, um, or on our Instagram feed as well, um, at The Torch Podcast. And so, um, yeah, so Nathan, take it away. Yeah, we, we love hearing from you guys. It's been so cool to hear that uh, it sounds like some of you are doing exactly what we're trying to do ourselves and like open our mind up and question what we believe and not necessarily um, change our views in a radical way. You know, this isn't an evangelical podcast, but um, we, we love that people are listening and taking us seriously enough that you know, you're questioning the things you believe for a long time um, or at least adding some nuance to it and learning that there's some gray area or um, there's different views than just mainstream Democrats, mainstream Republicans. There's a lot, a lot of more different ways to think about politics in this country right now. Um, and honestly, like our, one of our biggest, uh, most important reasons for starting this podcast was just like spreading some of the truth that made us so excited about these topics. And then to hear back from some of you guys that you guys are starting to get excited about these very same top topics is um, one, just really inspiring for us. Uh, so we really thank you for that, but also, um, you know, it's, it's why we got this started. And so to hear that it's having some, any bit of positive effect is just really awesome. Um, and it's been really um, just humbling, but also uh, heartwarming for us to hear that. Yeah. It's so cool to hear cool stories so early. Um, and, and I think picking, speaking of political nuance and picking the best ideas from different sides of the aisle, um, I think that's a really good segue into what we're going to talk about today. Um, we wanted to do an episode on RFK Jr., um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And because he's done a lot of high profile interviews real recently, um, but also because I think, you know, this is going to be a lasting campaign. I don't think this is a flash in the pan type of that. Um, and you know, even if it doesn't become this huge historical campaign, um, the combination of his viewpoints and the traction he's gotten already says a lot about where I think politics and people are going in the next few years. Yeah. Would you say that, I mean, cause the way that I, I think about him is he's the most, um, middle ranged, uh, political candidate that's been on the right or left uh, in the last 20 years and in, in my uh, political lifetime. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, but yes, but it's more than that. I think he's interesting middle. He's not fucking mm -hmm. Mitt Romney middle or yeah, yeah. Um, like, uh, 
he's got his own political ideas and his uh so he's not just in the middle because he's like trying to avoid this conflict he's got very conflicting ideas that he's not afraid to throw out there um and he's not controversial ideas yeah he's not afraid to stand on those controversial ideas in the midst of probably the hardest time to stand on a controversial idea in the history of human politics. Uh, It's never been more dangerous to say something that's outside of your own political sphere's beliefs, as we've talked about many times in this podcast. Um, And he's doing that and standing there, standing in strong, um, which for me is super inspiring. Yeah, I agree. To to identify a moderate political candidate in the last few decades means that they're like uselessly establishment bureaucrat middle and they're they're the rusty weather vane um they're they're blowing in the breeze slowly to whatever they think will get them votes and robert f kennedy jr is a completely different type of moderate he's a principled anti-establishment but moderate you know he's taken ideas from the left and the right and um we're really excited about him. So quick background on RFK Jr. If you don't know, um, he launched his presidential campaign here about a month ago, month and a half ago. Um, but he's uh, an American environmental attorney, author, and activist. Um, so a lot of his time in gaining a prominence was in his work in environmental activism. And he was advocating for air and water quality, uh, as well as fighting against corporate pollution. Um, so this is already interesting, you know, emphasis on environmentalism and, you know, f- you would think fighting against corporate pollution, he's like this classic left hippie kind of guy, but we'll show you in a second how we'll talk about how he's much more nuanced and complicated than that. Um, yeah, he's not just your like, um, you know, your Bernie Sanders type, um, yeah. which I no disrespect to De- Bernie Sanders, he's done plenty of great things, um, but his, his approaches to his, this political um, philosophy is more take action and um, less of um, less utilizing the government to take action, but instead disbanding uh, other pieces towards the government that actually allows us to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. Um, and and seems like his ideas come out as feasible, um, whereas most of the time the the candidates that come forward with these certain ideas, they're so. Um, impossible impossible economically um that they fall by the wayside and i from what i've heard so far it doesn't seem like a lot of his political ideas are in the sphere of impossibility or in the sphere of um you know hyperbole yeah yeah i agree and and last note on um rfk's background is that he's the nephew of president john f kennedy and senator ted kennedy as well um but most people about our age, you know, will remember the presidential assassination of um, John F. Kennedy. And that brings up this whole, you know, interesting headline or, or topic about dismantling the the deep state and being against the CIA and things because, you know, there's the the once fringe conspiracy theory that's gained a lot of traction in the last few years is that the CIA had some serious involvement with the JFK assassination. I mean, and, and if you uh, said well, that... If you said that five, ten years ago, uh, yeah. if you said if you said that uh, JFK was um, taken down by the CIA or by the mafia, uh, it, you would be disbanded as this crazy lunatic, tinfoil hat person. Yeah. Uh, and now he's coming out as a presidential candidate that's within the family and saying that he believes with high probability that the CIA had something to do with his uncle's um, death and disappearance. Mm -hmm. 
and, and for people, that, and people aren't writing them off right away. I mean, t- uh, Fox News in 20 years went from um, they hate us for our freedoms, you know, Bush speeches invade Iraq, like super patriotism. To less than 20 years later, Tucker Carlson saying that the CIA killed Kennedy on primetime Fox News. Like the, the so crazy. The, yeah, the culture of uh, trusting institutions has totally changed on the on the right and in other ways a little bit on the left. Um, and what do you think that says about like the, just the American distrust in the um, in the politicians that we've elected in the last twenty years? I th- I think they've the 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 bureaucracy and the politicians and the establishment have earned every bit of the distrust that has come upon them in the last twenty years. I think um, we saw multiple fa- foreign failed wars. We saw a financial crisis. Uh, we saw government debt explode. We saw uh, inflation increase. We saw money get printed. We saw the disastrous handling of COVID. Um, and now we're on the edge of another huge war and another financial recession all in tw- like 20, 25 years. And so like the, the, the government's lost its credibility as experts yeah, because they haven't much- done anything big right in, in the last and 25 years or management has to happen before we start to wake up and say, uh, you know what, we, we, maybe we shouldn't trust the people that we've been placing so much trust in when we can see all of these cracks in the foundation, when we can see all of these flaws, um, and the pain that is caused by these flaws and, uh, policy creation. And he's standing up and, and saying one thing I really respect for him is standing up and saying, you know what, this needs to stop. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, the, this, um, uh, these political mistakes, these, um, these cracks in the foundation that have been created by government policies, um, there's something we can do about that. And I'm going to show you what that is, and I'm going to lay that out for you and you can either like it or dislike it. Um, but that's how it's going to be. Uh, and I think there's something really powerful about that message. And I think Pete, the American people have been desiring that message for so long. Yeah. And we're going to get into this, but I think that's what makes him such an interesting candidate is that most people have this feeling, subconscious or not, that uh, the government institutions and monopolies on violence, you know, uh, claim all of this authority, but they don't have a track record to show that they're experts and that they can create successful outcomes for us. But RFK Jr., um, he doesn't have this burn it all down, chaotic um what some people would disparagingly call anarchist type approach to um, fixing government. He's like, we need major change, but not like the 2008 hope and change Obama thing where he's basically this moderate and adds a little bit of healthcare. Like he's uh, RFK's not burn it all down, but like we need to dis there's still a strong role for government in people's lives and the government does need to help people. Um, So he does have some um, socialistic tendencies, which we can get into. Um, but he also says, like, we need to tear down some of these corrupt institutions. And I haven't heard somebody with socialistic tendencies also say that, you know, we need to dismantle the CIA and the surveillance state. It's just a weird it's a it's a weird new combination of ideas from a political candidate in the United States. So that's why we want to talk about him today. 
Yeah, and do you get the sense that he? Because I know that your biggest biggest flaw that you've seen in those socialist neocon types is that they have they want to put your gun to your head to to make you make decisions that um, probably should be made you know um, freely within society. Do you feel the sense that he has that gun to your head um, type approach on any of these uh, on any of his major campaign? ideals sadly i don't have a really satisfying answer because we're, we're just getting to know him i think time right. will tell how how quick he is to reach for that lever um or that gun um to put it against people's heads but i from everything that i've heard he's got a humility that so many other authoritarians don't and so while he wants to use the government to force people to do things that i don't think he should do um or, or he'd have way more laws on the books than i would I also don't think he gets off on the power or that he's he's doing it and he enjoys controlling people. I think he, he does it. He, I think he probably hates it, but he's like, this is still the most yeah. effective way to well, do it. And we're doing it for the greater good type thing, which is still not, you know, that still gets you to weird places. But he, he has this humility. We'll get into maybe we'll mention vaccines here in a second, but he's got this humility about what he believes. He's I have never I don't think I've heard of a, a, a political candidate or especially a presidential candidate explicitly say that they currently believe X, but show them, show them where he got it wrong, show them strong scientific evidence. Um, and he's totally willing to change his mind and science is fluid, et cetera, et cetera. That level of humility and being open to changing your mind is like unheard of in mainstream American politics. Well, and to give a reference point to that, um, his exact response in the Breaking Points interview that he did um, with Crystal Ball, uh, he he's she um, was berating him and asking him. Um, she told him, like, I want I want to know your opinion on uh, the vaccine. And then before he could answer that, she said, um, I just want to let you know, I've listened to a bunch of your interviews and I don't want to I don't want to take any of this on. I don't want to listen to what you have to say. I've already heard. Um, and so she asked this question and then wouldn't let him respond. And he came out with the most most politically mature answer mm -hmm. back to her when he said, look, I, I am totally fine if there is evidence out there that disparages my claims. But from from what I've seen so far, and he has written multiple books on the matter from what I've seen so far about vaccines, I just simply don't believe the science backs you up with what you're saying. But I invite any amount of science to come in and disparage my claims. And if it does, I will accept that as science. And to just have that scientific approach on science is so atypical from what we've seen from pol yeah. politicians over the last 20 years. Every other politician has said, this is the science. This person told me or this mm -hmm. person can back that up and you need to listen to them because they are the end all be all. And yeah. for, for the first time in a long time, he's inviting in the actual scientific method into science, which is, this is what I believe. This is why I believe it. Please go out there and try to prove me wrong because we're all trying to get mm -hmm. smarter and we're all trying to get better together. And, and I won't speak for you, but uh, the, this isn't to say that I agree with his position on vaccines and autism right. and the COVID vaccine necessarily and everything. It's not really about that. It's um, it's his meta approach to it that I really respect. And uh, I claim a, cert, a, a lot of ignorance on the vaccines and autism subject. I think he's a guy that's studied it for hundreds or thousands of hours more than I have. So um, the, that's beyond the scope of this podcast episode. But it, we finally have a serious political candidate that's using science 
in a broad sense and backing up his claims not to push a certain political agenda in my eyes. Like um, in the last, my whole life, essentially, it feels like politicians cherry pick specific scientific data only to make it useful to push a very specific policy through that benefits them. Um, and, and RFK doesn't seem to be doing that. Like, no, I mean, it wouldn't benefit him. That's the biggest thing. That's how you can tell. And I've said this uh, before on this podcast, and I'll say it again here. Uh, it's really easy to tell when a politician is telling the truth if their ethics, uh, if their ethics match up throughout their all of what they're saying. And he was not afraid to go against what the majority left thinks in a polling competition. He was not afraid to say what he believes in, and, and it was completely against what the left believes, which tells me that he has some, some sort of ethic mm-hmm. that hold that, that he goes back to to make his decisions instead of what will get me the most votes. That's how I'll make my decisions. Right. If someone is if someone goes along with every part of what the left or the right thinks. That normally is a a great sign to me that they don't have a mind of their own and they don't have a belief system of their own or an ethic of their own. And I think at least we can see through him that he has his own ethic, even if you don't necessarily agree with him. Yeah, you'd have to get real. You'd have to assume real, real malice if you're like he's taking this, quote unquote, anti-vax position to benefit himself. You'd have to go so far as to say, like, he wants large numbers of people to die of diseases that are preventable from vaccines by pushing this anti-vax thing. Like, do you really think that's what he wants? Like, it's way easier to assume malice on the other side. If, oh, man, I wish we had a couple good examples of this in the last year. People pushing a certain pharmaceutical product. Like, it's way easier to assume malice that way because then, like, you could see, oh, there's uh, uh, pharmaceutical industrial complex influences. Like, there's money involved. They're pushing a certain product. Um, so they're going to over amplify the benefits of a certain product. He's, but this is an absence of a product. It's like, it's why I love negative rights and libertarianism so much. Like we're not pushing things on you. We're taking things off of you. And so, um, it's way harder to uh, assume malice when he's trying to, uh, increase liberty in certain areas, tear down certain establishments, or at least reinvent them and say, hey, we shouldn't be doing this instead of, hey, we should add this, all this extra shit. Do you think there's any danger? Because he does, t- the his thoughts are a bit extreme on the vaccine. And so do you think there's any danger in he believing that autism comes directly um, from an increase in vaccines? Uh, do you think that that can be a dangerous political po- political stance? Or where, where do you fall on that? Uh. I mean, I think there's two different answers, um, medically dangerous or societally dangerous. I think that's what the debate needs to be about. I think we need right. a serious, honest debate about it. That's free from the influences of the pharmaceutical industrial complex. I want good, well-intentioned people on both sides of this debate doing long form interviews or conversations like this one. And like Lex Friedman does. Um, but politically, I, man, I really don't know. I think he's going to get a lot of populist and Republican sympathy from this. I think there's more disaffected Democrats post COVID than people realize. Um, I think people are going to come out of the woodworks that haven't really voted or participated and they're going to feel really represented by him. And so he's going to get a bunch of support there, but he's also going to get a bunch of establishment backlash uh, 
for having, I mean, the corporate press, which is slowly losing influence over the years, is going to disparage him and they're just going to hammer him on that over and over again. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. We'll see. I think that's why we're talking about him today. Do you think, yeah, I mean, w- without a doubt, I think just that that one, I think he's got two key statements that that shock everyone um, enough that they opened, they he opened up a lot of people's eyes um, to a nuanced type of thinking. And when he came out and he said, I believe the CIA had played a large part in killing my uncle and then followed that up with um, an extremist view on vaccines. Um, well, that's, I don't know how extremist it is anymore, but outside the mainstream or outside the corporate. It's just, press. yeah, outside of the mainstream, but especially extremist on the left uh, on for, for liberal for democratic candidate. Yeah. yeah. For a democratic candidate. For sure. And for him to come out and say that and stand so strongly on those two points. And I know they're not actually key points for his uh, political campaign, but I mean, they definitely are key points according to the media. Um, and so for him to come out and, and stand so strongly on those points, uh, I, I've already spoke about how much that says about his character. But I also um, I think that it's actually beneficial to how people look at science um, because there's this other person on the left that's inviting them to open up the scientific textbook and and read the literature and do their own research that the benefit that could come out of this, even if they did end up disagreeing with them because the literature says they should, the benefit is nonwithstanding because people are going to now take that approach to more things in the future. And so for that reason, I think it's going to have a huge benefit. Yeah. It, it's a good indication that he's at least at some level a free thinker. And that's um, I think we've mentioned on this podcast a few times, you know, what is the fundamental d- divide in society between people? It's not left versus right, red versus blue, more versus less taxes. Um, it re- really might come down to uh, whether you encourage free thought or discourage free thought. And um, it's an idea I'm still ruminating on. Um, but I, I have a strong gut feeling that he's an ally when it comes to free thinking. He, yeah. and, he's, and he's not going to hate you or demonize you for disagreeing. He's just going to try to persuade you instead of put you in a cage. Um, but, uh, and well, let me ask you, go ahead. Let me ask you, what, what are some of the biggest red, red flags and green flags that you see with this political can candidate, um, before we get into the campaign planks and, and, and how he's set up his campaign? Um, what are some key things that, that you've seen, um, either red flags, green flags? Yeah. And I want to answer that real quick, but I'm going to politically dodge for a second because we we spent like the last 10 minutes talking about vaccines and autism. And, uh, and, but uh, I think that's actually one of the least interesting or or least important specific policy positions that he has. Um, We wanted to more make a point about the meta, the meta position, um, what that means for somebody like this to take a position like this and have a history, um, like this, it doesn't I, I think it doesn't mean that we agree shows, with everything that he's saying. It's just the most important that, even, thing that, it's, that he's free to say it. Yeah, or that even is that his campaign should be dictated by what he thinks about autism and vaccines. Uh, it's it's more it more tells you how he approaches the positions that he does have. Um, that he's willing to go against the grain. That he's focused on scientific support. That he's willing to have debates with people and be wrong. I think that's such a green flag. And, and yeah. so um, it, the CIA and vaccines are not the most important 
parts of his campaign to me. They're going to be they're going to catch the most headlines because they're the most controversial and clickbaity. But I think we're going to go into his six campaign planks on his website here, you know, uh, communicate some research to you guys so you can be a little familiar with him. But I meant to bring this up earlier. Then I'll get into red flags, green flags. Um, in preparation for this episode, there's some great interviews with RFK Jr. out there that uh, if you're interested, um, go check them out. Uh, Devin already mentioned the Breaking Points um, interview, which is um, Breaking Points is this great um, online news show with Crystal Ball, and I can't remember her co-host's name, um, but they both come from like ABC News. They have um, corporate press backgrounds, but they started this wildly successful internet show, and they're kind of um, democratic populist types, um, but they're kind of anti-establishment. Um, so they're interesting, but I disagree with them on a bunch, but I think their heart's in the right place and they're doing a generally good thing um, for communication and press in general. I think Chris, I think they might have uh, heard their uh, oh yeah, Crystal's getting roasted. Yeah, she's getting absolutely roasted. But how but, she had but they have a lot of listeners that would agree with her too. So I, yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, but the premise is like she their their whole show is just to give you guys some background. Their whole show is she left MSNBC to create this show where she gave people the freedom to speak how they wanted to speak, mm-hmm. um, and so that there wasn't all of this control around. And what what could and could not be said over the airways and for her to completely block him from saying what he needed to be said right after that happened on um, was it CBS ABC. Um, so right after that happened on another corporate television show, it, it was like, well, what makes you different? Um, and right. I do think they're different and aiming to be different and, and have done a lot of great things. And I think she just made a mistake. Um, but it, it shows you like how much. Um, media power has taken over yeah. even people that try to be against it and um, mm-hmm. how, how much uh, they, they've demonized certain terms and demonized certain ways of thinking so much that it, you can tell it hurts people to even open up their mind to it. They start freaking out, frantically mm-hmm. discussing it um, because even inviting that type of thought in seems to be so dangerous for certain people's careers mm-hmm. that I think that they just avoid it at all costs. And you yeah, can see she, that in her interview very, very clearly. She's still got some old habits and old demons. Um, yeah, without whatever. a doubt. Uh, so the breaking points interview, um, we're going to plug a podcast called part of the problem. Um, one of my favorite libertarian voices, maybe the favorite libertarian voice is Dave Smith. Uh, he had RFK jr. On, and, uh, there was another one. Oh, Megan Kelly, um, on her online show did a, a, a longer interview with him. Um, and they're all great, like d- agree with them and disagree with them. We've got like a traditional Republican. We've got like, old, um, populist Democrats and we've got a libertarian. So we're all over the spectrum with this guy uh, going on different people's shows. And um, we'll we'll state those again in the episode description. But um, yeah, that's helped form a lot of our what we know about RFK Jr. already. So real quick, red flags and green flags before we get into the six campaign planks. Um, we went over some of the green flags already. His humility and willingness to be wrong and a seeming lack of agenda principles-based policy positions is my biggest green flag for him. I'll take that back. That's the second biggest one. He's he's good on the most important thing, which is war. He mm-hmm. wants to reduce the size of the American military, get us out of Ukraine, bring the troops home, avoid nuclear war, which um, I can't say it enough times. Avoiding nuclear war with Russia is the most important thing in the history of the world. By far. By far. it's It is whether or not 
we live or die Imagine uh, as a species. People uh, cannot it, take this serious enough. There are decently big slices of the pie of American political attention right now that are going to transgender bathrooms and Bud Light cans. Uh, and Which drives me insane. We're completely misallocating our attention. Um, the, the, all, the Almost the entire pie right now should be avoiding nuclear war with Russia. Yes. Okay. And instead, we've got we've got half the country on the right, half the country on the right. So caught up in whether or not they should drink Bud Light cans because this uh, organization, but the Anheuser-Busch decided that they were going to run an ad campaign uh, utilizing a transgender individual. And then they, even though they absolutely despise and hate cancel culture, decided to cancel. Yeah. Bud Light, um, which to me is just crazy. And then on the other side, you have the left that is still worried about vaccines, is still worried about um, constant cancel culture for any number of reasons, racial reasons for transgender, anti-transgender, anti-LGTB or LGG. I can't even say it, Um, but uh, anti um, any group, any of those. Yeah, LGBTQ uh-huh. uh, uh, groups, and and so they're so caught up in this uh, both sides, this cancel culture and this um, you know anti uh, anti left or anti the right, depending on which side you're on, that they're not even worried about the most important issue, which is that we're completely funding this humongous war that could turn into the end of human civilization. Mm-hmm. And uh, a po- a political priority check needs to happen more often. I catch myself putting too much time and attention into things that don't really matter. Just remember what the actual most important things are. You can't have enough space in your brain to be passionate about every political issue. Yes. You need to, you need to just let some things be stupid and fall off the books and then place your attention on the actually important things. And so that's a big green flag for me for RFK Jr. is he seems to be focusing on what's actually important. You know, there's no mention in his website of North Carolina transgender bathrooms, you know, it's, uh, and exactly. Uh, and we haven't earned the right to put a bunch of emphasis on that yet. Um, when we get out of all the wars and fix our economy and fix taxation and our national debt and uh, violations of private property and civil liberties, then we can start talking about some of those more uh, nuanced, detailed social issues that are affecting a very, very small portion of the population. Um, but the media it doesn't mean that we hate any group of people or any person or any any of these thoughts or, or it's it's just that there has to be a priority. If you were a company that was if you were a CEO that was running a company and there was this existential threat of another company coming up and dismantling you completely, mm-hmm. you would take the proper precautions in order to make sure that your co- company stayed afloat. And yeah. imagine and half your half your employees are running around wasting a bunch of time worried about um, the the soda selection in the break room. Yeah, like, exactly. and would you lose your mind as like the CEO? You know, like you yeah, guys you are getting would, distracted. You fire the correct people, or even if it was, I mean, you can bring this to an exact match when you talk about like things that that definitely have to happen nowadays in inside of a, a company with um, like you know. Um, inclusive inclusion personnel um but you would those would you wouldn't fire all of your sales team you wouldn't fire all yeah. of your you know all of your revenue generating team mm-hmm. you would, the first people that you would look at are the people that are making the smallest impact on driving what is keeping you afloat because it's necessary and it's not that those people are any less important um, but it's that they have to be deprioritized because they are not they will not be there either 
if all of you fail. Yeah. And that's what's yeah. going to happen here as a country is none of us are going to be here to fight for um, the LGBT. Nobody's going to be here to fight for anti-racism. Nobody's going to be here to fight right. uh, for these culture wars if we all die because we're making irresponsible decisions in the Ukraine-Russian war. Right. And so um, that's, yeah, uh, to the big green flags, his his approach to um, his approach to the, his policy positions, his science-based background, uh, his humility, and he's best on the best thing. Um, yes. They're best on the most important thing, which is war. Red flags are that he's still a Democrat at the end of the day. Um, he still looks to the government as a necessary part of every American's lives. And, and he wants that- to, and he wants to thumb the scale of the free market in a lot of different ways. Um, he wants environmental subsidies. He wants, he still wants a lot of, uh, to maintain a lot of the welfare state. So, um, does the, the title the- bother you? Like, does the title of the, of Democrat bother you because of their common assertion with, uh, you know, utilizing their political power for their own gain mm-hmm. or to um, or utilizing policy to create um, government institutions that we've seen do not necessarily work. Uh, I understand that argument. I, I understand the argument for both sides. I think it's a really smart political move. Um, to use one of the major parties and then communicate a different message through one of the major political parties, which I think that the left and the, the Republicans and Democrats, the definition of those has changed so much over the last 20 years, and it keeps eroding and getting more complicated. So I think that red tie, blue tie label means less and less, and he's just using a larger platform because it's politically smart. Uh, but I do, on principle, wish that he was running as like an independent or maybe even a libertarian. Um, he's just too far off to be actual libertarian, but um, an independent on principle to dismantle this two-party system that he's rallying against. So I understand the argument for both sides. And uh, who knows if if Joe Biden wins the primary and refuses to do any debates and Joe Biden's a Democratic candidate, Kennedy could still go independent. We'll We'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I could definitely see him going independent, um, especially if it's Joe Biden versus Trump. I know he said that he initially wasn't going to run and um, his wife didn't want um, him to run. And uh, he didn't think that he was going to have a chance. But uh, this is actually a really cool story that um, one of his uh, affiliates, one of his friends put him in a poll um, without necessarily his permission. Um, and not that they have to have his permission, but he he didn't know about it. And he polled at, I think it was 18%. Uh, and for, for him, for him, that was a wake up call that, Hey, I have the, I have a chance at this. And so to me, I took that quote as it, he has a chance. What was he looking for a chance to do? And it seems that he was looking for a chance um, to get back to the the left, the liberal side of things that he remembers, which I think is a lot more congruent congruent with the Libertarian Party now. Mm-hmm. Um, Classical it, liberalism. Yeah, yeah. Cla- classic liberalism, which uh, should in part be very similar to libertarianism, if mm-hmm. it was done correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so We've those just are some so of the... far from that initial idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it's hard. People don't, don't spend a bunch of time in politics. It gets really confusing when um, there's a bunch of terms to begin with, and then they meant different things in the past, and they've slowly changed and then rapidly changed over the last few years. Now they mean something completely different. Like there's Republicans that are uh, railing against liberals 
right now, but like, what does liberals mean? Are you talking about like the progressive woke left? Are you talking about like Joe Biden establishment, yeah. Democrat, credit card, Delaware, uh, military industrial complex people? Like it's, there's, um, we just got to be a little more precise with our terms. And um, yeah, because well, and it's the product of the two party system where people can't have their own ideas. They have to fit within this square mm -hmm. or this square. And, right. and so you see this huge mess of ideas that is that now become so, um, you know, atypical from the, the original meaning of either one of the parties. I mean, you have full on socialist on the left and then you have um, right wing people that are so far from conservative um, in their approaches uh, that it, it's um, it's, it's become this humongous spectrum. And like you said, it's hard to know what anybody thinks just based on their political party nowadays. It is. Uh, we're forcing the the square peg of people's bitterness and anti-establishment and nuance across the entire political spectrum into the round holes of the old, rigid Democratic and Republican parties. And uh, I think RFK occupies a really interesting space there. So we wanted to go through um, the six campaign planks that he's got on his website. Um, and we'll learn a lot more as this campaign continues because right now they're a little politically phrased, a little vague, you know, he's not listing specific statistics and really specific policy prescriptions. Uh, but I think what we're going to more focus on is why he chose these six. Like, is this the best, best six to choose? Um, what could he, could he have put on there that he didn't and vice versa? So, um, yeah. What are your first thoughts on the very first one, Devin, uh, which is honest government. Um, he mentions, um, reducing censorship, increasing transparency into governmental organizations that are traditionally pretty opaque and then ending the surveillance state or reducing the surveillance state. And I think this is what everybody has been calling for, right? Is like, um, obviously there people are naturally kind of fed up with um, the surveillance state that exists currently. Um, and I think, you know, he, he kind of spearheads this because of his family connection um, and his disdain for the CIA um, but just to have that, what we all want is transparency and an understanding of knowing, um, what's going on. And I think obviously we all know now that we don't at least know what's going on, whether you th think that they're doing something incorrect or they're, they're doing everything for the best betterment of the United States. The fact that you have to ask that question shows us that we don't have any transparency to what's going on. And, and so that to me is, is a huge problem. That exists within our country and one of the biggest reasons why i like rfk is because he says you know what i don't think that they should be doing these things because he actually points out that the that as you go up in the hierarchy of the cia um that there is more and more problems that it it's become so uh, detached from what they were initially trying to accomplish and now there are so many voices in these uh, higher ups heads and that a lot of what they're trying to accomplish has nothing to do with the betterment of the United States. That's mm -hmm. his point point of reference on it. Um, but again, like like I said, if you if we can't tell what their point uh, what they're trying to accomplish, um, and we don't have any transparency into that, that is a huge red flag to me. And so the fact that he wants to fix that um, to me is is one of his biggest positives. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think I agree with everything that you said. Um, when you when you give an institution uh, a decent amount of time, a lot of power, a lot of money, and some inherent secrecy 
through classification or or what off the book stuff I've, that is just the perfect recipe for corruption and so that's what the cia and the fbi and the deep state are but like it, and if you're a pro deep state person whatever like it applies to other stuff that you would probably agree with me on like think of the catholic church it's had yes. it's had a lot of it has I'd less wanna... power now but it had more power back in the day it had a shit ton of money and influence and then it by its very design it had exclusivity and secrecy built into it you know the norms normies weren't allowed in the back chambers of the the priests and um the the hierarchies that are built in there and so when you combine all of these variables you inevitably get this crazy corruption um where you find out that the the products of these organizations are the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I mean, so I, I love gosh, that. Was, Go ahead. That there's never a better example than what you just laid out right there. The fact that we can't trust what are supposed to be the, 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 the highest point of um, living the way that you're supposed to live. And um, like priests are supposed to be this ideal figure that you look at mm -hmm. as that is who I want to be. That is how I'm supposed to act. And that is what I'm supposed to live like. Mm -hmm. And instead they become child rapists. Mm -hmm. and you, you can clean it up and say it however you want. But the fact that that no, was going don't. on. Yeah. The fact that that was going on and it's sad, but it also opens us up to what do we look at the government as? Is this ideal form of protection, this ideal form of yeah. doing stuff in our best They're interest? They're supposed to be serving us. Yeah, there are yeah. employees on paper. So, I mean, are we their children? Like, are we the 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 choir boys that, you know, like um, as a metaphorical term, like mm -hmm. they're doing what they want with us because we can't, nobody, none of the other purveyors of protection can see into what they're actually doing. And and it's obviously proven to be extremely dangerous. That, that was just so beautifully laid out uh, by you there. So I just wanted to speak on that for a second, but you can continue. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Thanks. I love that RFK has got that as one of his, his top priorities. Uh, and we can talk about the divide here between like this uh, anti-establishment populist Democrat and versus libertarians. Um, you know, it's called he's got like six boxes on his website and there's some details. But it, the first one of the six policy planks is honest government and uh, a libertarian would phrase it differently. But the RFK is still in the right direction. I think a libertarian would say vastly reduced size, scope, and spending of government. And that's what right. gives you honest government. Now, RFK Jr. is trying to do major reform through existing government, probably not scale it back all that much. Uh, but the fact that he's going in the right direction as a serious Democratic presidential candidate uh, is really inspiring. Well, he's talked about repeal and replacing of the CIA and 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 important people within the FBI, and um, and so I think to that it's it's similar to the libertarian ideal of um, let's tear this thing down. Uh, I think in a libertarian view, you're tearing it down and not to be and rebuilt replace, and replacing it with nothing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, replacing it with hey, we this obviously didn't work. Let's let's just stop it. Um, whereas uh, his idea is like this has some um, this has some utility. Um, let's, and he thinks that he can get it to run correctly. And I, I always have my worries about that because given enough time, the corruption will start to creep its way back in. Um, but I do think, I mean, this will at least 
fix the problem for the foreseeable future. I think it at least gives us a reset. Um, and so I think with that, yeah. it's an amazing thing. But I, I do hear the concerns without question. A couple of podcasts ago, we used the metaphor of a, a car driving towards a cliff when it came to uh, monetary policy and, and printing money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that he's uh, not accelerating towards the cliff, uh, he's putting the brakes on. Um, libertarians mm-hmm. would want to turn the car around. Um yeah, uh, but but the fact that RFK Jr. is putting putting the putting the brakes on is um, already just this massive improvement that's really interesting to watch, and uh, we spend a little more time on number one because of its because it has so many implications as kind of a meta topic. Um, this next one is is reconciliation, um, what he calls reconciliation, which is uh, about encouraging civil debate. It's about healing political divides. I think this is less of a long list of legislative prescriptions. This is more. How do you talk to the American people? How do you bring people in? How do you uh, turn down the temperature of the political heat in in the next few years? And so I think this is like a foo-foo-y soft political statement. But I also think the way he's communicated already is very different and very important. And and I hope that he keeps that up. Um, He doesn't have... I think Donald Trump got so many votes in in 2016 and 2020 because millions of people that were explicitly hated by the government and the political establishment, Trump said, I don't hate you. I'm here to support you. Now, he didn't. He he said he hated other people, and then he ended up not supporting the people that he claimed he was going to support. So he's a total hypocrite. But I think uh, RFK Jr. has got such a like a peaceful, inclusive, humble tone to the things that he's saying, whether I agree with them or not, that this reconciliation piece could be really healthy for the country. Well, I mean, obviously, this is like a, a key point for me. I, I've always wanted a presidential candidate. If we have to have a president, I want a presidential candidate that one of their number one uh, ideals is that they want to bring the country together and that the political I believe that the political divide causes more than just corruption within that we can see within um, like media outlets. I think that it, it obviously causes corruption that exists within the people that live in this country and the way that we treat each other. And so small things like having someone as a leader that that is just hoping for unity changes the entire way that the United States, the people that within the United States mm-hmm. treat each other and act mm-hmm. with act within um, the the set of rules that they have. Um, and, and I think that instead of you, you see right now a constant um, people in the streets, you know, um, protesting as they should protesting for the things that they believe in. Um, I don't think that that would people would do that if they had a belief that someone is going to be fair um, with with the ideas that they're pressing forward. And I don't think that you've seen any person right or left that was going to fairly um, judge a, a certain topic. They were going to more than likely go with whatever their political party told them was the best way to get more votes for the next election. And now in this person, I see someone that obviously doesn't care about that. And I think that just that thought could help so many people not necessarily want to go out and do terrible things 
to the other side because they know that there's somebody on the other side that is at least in taking what I'm saying and making an educated decision based on that. Like that's such a comforting feeling to me. And being principally consistent and cohesive and not hypocritical is really important to me. And we'll get into foreign policy in a second. But reconciliation, I almost look at as de-escalation. Just like he wants to de-escalate the Russia-Ukraine situation, which we'll get into in a minute. He wants to de-escalate the political tension between American citizens and just that tone and desire instead of getting on some bullhorn in the middle of COVID and saying, uh, if you want to go to church or you want to go to work, you're a grandma killer. And we, when we hate you and you should be second class citizens. And, um, you know, when a, a serious minority, like a substantial minority of your party would jail people for not getting vaccinated. Like that is a recipe for civil war. Um, and, uh, I think, RFK Jr. prioritizes de-escalation domestically and internationally. And I love that they they work together. It's really hard for me to take you seriously, Joe Biden or whatever president, that you want to bring American people together and improve things at home. Uh, But you're stoking nuclear war in Eastern Europe. Like they just they don't match. (laughs) Either you're a peaceful person or you're not. uh, you can't say uh, I care about brown people at home, but I'm going to blow up a million brown people in the Middle East. Exactly. exactly. It's, it's just so obvious what your motivations are. Um, one of you, one of them makes a bunch of money for the military industrial complex and gets you more power. And then at home, it dupes idiots into thinking that you really care about them. Which, I mean, is, isn't that the worst? Because now we have a bunch of people that will fight for every word that you say. Um, and when when we justifiably know that that one of those thoughts is damaging to um, millions of people and could end up killing millions of people, that blind following uh, is so dangerous. But that group think that was, I believe, started to get excited really when Trump was elected of like this, um, whatever my side says, like I am going to be entrenched in that ideal and in that thinking. Um, the blind witnessing needs to end. And uh, I'm hoping that this can be a, a like a Kickstarter in that of like he's introducing enough new ideas within a certain political party that hasn't had uh, nuanced ideas that are um, incoherent with their party in a long time. Totally agree. I think that wraps up reconciliation pretty well. I mean, we we went on for a while about a, something that was supposed to be this foo-foo-y uh, yeah, <laughs> political statement. Uh, next is the environment. I mean, we could talk about this for a long time, but the fact that environment is one of his six planks is uh, interesting. Uh, but he, I think there's a lot of backlash against establishment Democrat environmental policies because they're so focused on they're so focused on cl- uh, climate change and globalization. You know, scaring a lot of people that we're going to implement a bunch of laws because we have this existential threat alleged existential threat of climate change that you're you know you're going to eat bugs and not own anything you know all those exaggerations and whatever Mm -hmm. um but the fact that he's been an environmental attorney for decades and that he doesn't i don't think mentions climate change on his website under environment at least under the summary like he's choosing these words very carefully but i don't think he's doing it just to get votes i think he's um he he you know, he mentions healthy food, pure water, clean air, living rivers, forests, grasslands, and wetlands. He's not talking about we must stop the existential threat of of climate change. He's not using the the talking points that every other NPC Democrat is using. He's like, no, I want I want clean water, and I want Monsanto uh, not destroying the environment and creating foods that give us all cancer. Like he's he's got this genuine 
care approach to the environment. So what, yeah, what do you he, think about that? I mean, he, he, and you could call him not the expert in many, many different uh, parts of this, but in this singular part of, about the environment, he is an expert uh, and uh, very well read uh, very, he's produced plenty of articles and worked in um, multiple organizations uh, helping uh, to fix many of these problems that he speaks about. And whether you are a super environmental, um, you know, heavy uh, believer, or if you don't believe in any of the environmental stuff, um, you can at least respect that he, like you said, doesn't just dive into, um, we need to stop this. It's not the Al Gore approach of like, um, the world's going to end if we don't yeah. do this right now. He's yeah. instead He's like bringing about up that at all. issues and he has plans that he has already set in place to help um, fix these issues. And he doesn't use it as a propaganda machine whatsoever, even though he would be the one person um, from the left that I believe actually could use this as a propaganda oh, yeah. because he has the ground to stand on and he's still choosing not to. And I find that to be um, extremely respectable. Totally agree. We could get we could talk about the environment forever. Um, oh yeah, uh, you know I think he's going to reach for government as the solution to the environment way more than he should, or that I think that he should. Uh, but there's a lot of there's a lot of white pills and green flags um, in terms of his approach to the environment and making it one of his six. All right, next revitalization. Um, this is this is like domestic economic plank. Um, so his big points are, you know, maintain or increase government assistance to the needy. We don't have a whole lot of really specific policy prescriptions there, what that actually means. Um, and, but what I love is that he's he's always throwing a bone to both sides. Uh, he's um, he's like, come, come here, uh, come closer, Democrats. And he's like, come here, uh, Republicans, with every one of these positions. And I, I think it's really mm -hmm. smart. Um, but I think he genuinely wants to do it. We'll see how it plays out. So government assistance to the needy, you know, throws a bone to the Democrats. And then in the same sentence says, but we need to reverse the problematic policies that cause poverty in the first place. And that He's is admitting. a huge, like, that is a huge bone thrown to principled Republicans and, and libertarians. Like, you know, uh, as a, as pretty a borderline anarchist here, I think the, the reason that government assistance is needed in the first place is because of bad policies. So I love right. that he's prioritizing reversing problematic policies. Well, and I think that's his goal from listening to him speak a little bit about this. Uh, his goal seems to be like, he says, we do need government assistance to the needy, but he says, because we've made improper um, political decisions in the past. And so I think he understands that there have been problems with the way that we have created certain programs in the past that have led us to this situation where they're necessary now. And uh, I do think that that might, might be one point of contention. I'm not super into this idea of the government having to be the savior um, for everyone. Um, but I do, I mean, we, we can obviously see we've gotten to a point where certain government assistance does seem to be necessary, at least within the certain political sphere that we have created for ourselves. Um, we could go in on a different episode with how this might not be necessary um, if we tore it all down. But um, in the current political climate that we do have, I, I think that that certain political or certain government assistance programs are probably necessary. Um, and the fact that that he wants to kind of clean up the efficiencies around it um, at least speaks to to what our desires were from previous episodes about let's make this system work more efficiently. 
Uh, that's the biggest problem with why we think that it needs to be torn down to at least a great extent is because of the inefficiencies of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he points that out and he says, yes, there are inefficiencies. We want to clean those up, um, but we're not going to uh, we're not going to um, ignore the people that need help. And I think that's something to be respected, even that's if you don't. Agree with it. Yeah, this is this is a moderate to be admired. Um, he I can't think of a, another major political candidate in the last 20 years that's genuinely thrown a bone to both sides uh without demonizing somebody um it's just really cool to see it's it's a white pill um speaking of white pills uh his fifth plank is peace uh i don't know why this is number five and why it's not at the top (laughs) yeah um because it is uh, he rfk wants to end the wars bring the troops home and, and invest that money in infrastructure so uh, throwing a bone to the Democrats by investing in domestically and in, in infrastructure. Well, I think, I don't know, certain Republicans probably want that too. Um, but he's saying end the wars and bring the troops home. I, th- I think um, the American military empire is probably the biggest drag on human society in the last 50 years. And um, I- I'd love that he's making this one of his priorities, especially as a Democrat. The other Democratic candidate he's going to be running against um, is is not making any genuine serious effort to de-escalate in ukraine and i love that he wants to bring everybody home and he knows his history too listen to some of those interviews that we Mm -hmm. um suggested especially part of the problem um it's important to dave smith from part of the problem so it's uh so that's a big chunk of um the interview that they have but he can speak to history better than of course better than biden um of course better than trump so yeah i i love that he can talk he's a well-read guy and yep. we finally have a quote-unquote elite that is actually elite at a few things <laughs> it's it's refreshing yes. okay go ahead and, and and how important is it right now when i view the the largest biggest problem and you've already spoken to this on this podcast you view the largest problem that is the ukraine russian war and so i think the reason that i will probably i haven't decided who i'll vote for but right now he's the leading candidate um, even though he's not on the libertarian ticket, is because uh, my most important piece of the libertarian ticket is anti-war. And um, and I don't believe we should be killing people for no reason, the non-aggression, non-aggression principle mm-hmm. that we've laid out in previous episodes. And um, for somebody that's this important, um, that has this name, uh, that, that has a chance to win, um, is coming out and saying we don't need to be at war and we don't need to be spending this much money on war. And um, he's not going to give in to Lockheed Martin. And he speaks against them on numerous occasions. And the fact that we're getting all of that in a political candidate, I think, speaks more than every one of these other pillars combined. Uh, I think it, it's by far the most important. And, and to hear him speak on that over and over. And, and like you said, um, be so articulate and how he lays out the reasoning for this. Um, it's like uh, every um, anti-war, anti-establishment person's dream, the way he's able to um, articulate the true facts behind um, the pains and problems that war has caused not only 
other countries, obviously the millions that it's killed, but also our country um, and European countries in respect to that initial war and and the fact that other war decisions have been the reason that we're in the place we are right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he articulates all of this so perfectly. I really um, would love for you guys to go check out Dave Smith's uh, podcast with him and, and he can really um, walk you through the line of, of why this is such a problem um, and what problems it's created us for in the current day. It's just insane that a Kennedy 60 years yes. ago has to has to risk his own life to go against the military industrial complex to not go to nuclear war with Russia. And 60 years later, a Kennedy has to risk his own life to go against the military industrial complex to not go to nuclear war with Russia. I mean, Can you just, get some background on that real quick. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely not an expert, but I mean, no, he has some really compelling stories about um, how his uncle made really went out on a limb, risk his political career and maybe ended up getting killed um, for being principled about not wanting to go to nuclear war with Russia and doing everything he can to deescalate. Um, and, and Vietnam. Yeah. Not and Vietnam. Wanting, yeah. Vietnam. Who knows Vietnam what, who knows what killed him? Vietnam might've been the straw that broke the back, but, uh, but also, you know, he's, he's also not this pacifist. He has a red line that no, the Soviet union cannot put missiles in Cuba right off our shores. That is, that is a red That's line, obvious. but What's really important about RFK is he has the perspective and the empathy to be able to connect that to Putin. Now, do you see how not putting um, Tomahawk cruise missile launchers in Romania and in the Ukraine that can be tipped, that can be, that are defensive weapon systems that can be changed very easily and tipped with uh, nuclear weapons um, to be used as offensive missile launchers. Like, do you see how this is the same thing as the Cuban Missile Crisis and how we were freaking out in this close to nuclear war and wouldn't allow nuclear weapons this close to our shore is the same for Putin? Like he's uh, there. It's a such a simple thing to put together in my mind, but no political candidate has been able to do it, you know, besides the good libertarians out there that I've heard from all the neocons on the right and the lobotomized suddenly pro-war people on the left uh, just have no ability to put their themselves in the enemy's shoes Uh, rfk does because of his stories from his own family yeah i I couldn't agree more um and it seems like he has every reason to be against these very very important factors to me um and so um, if anybody, I think, will stand up and say, no, we're not doing that to the Lockheed Martins of the world, I think it'll be him. Um, and so uh, I'm, that's that's honestly what, what has me so supportive of his ideals, um, is that he has every reason to the point of his own family member's death to stand up for what he believes in. Absolutely. That brings us to our sixth um, policy plank, which is civil liberties. This is another one that us libertarians would rank much higher. Why are we pre- why are we replacing uh, the first I know amendment? Why number we six. Wanted to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He didn't want people to get bored with the list, I guess. Um, so, uh, yeah, in civil liberties, he mentions prioritizing free speech, which is already crazy different than any democratic candidate that's been running it it's been uh s- speech is dangerous speech is violence we must you know ban books yeah you because know, that's worked in the past mm-hmm. and um can't have people say certain things and do certain things or have certain opinions on certain sites uh, russian disinformation misinformation all the buzzwords yeah. he seems to be serious about reversing all of that um I, and uh, even if it's just in tone um 
He's not going to be a guy that won't let you say something on a platform because he's been the guy that's been shut down and deplatformed for having certain views that are science backed, at least in his opinion, that he really believes in. But he's open to be uh, wrong about him. A guy that gets deplatformed from Instagram for saying something against the COVID vaccine is I don't think is going to turn around and say, oh, you can't have this opinion on the environment. We're going to throw you in a cage. Exactly. With his own words and research, he has in a good way, locked himself into this set of beliefs that everyone should have, at least in my, from my perspective, about free speech and censorship. And so luckily, he's already said these things in previous discussions before he was running for president, that um, whether that is the reason why he's not switching up, or if it's just true, he's staying true to his ethics, either way, it points us in a much better direction. Absolutely. And there's some other adjacent things there in civil liberties. He talked, he mentioned censorship again. He mentions a surveillance state. Um, he also um, mentions reducing incarceration. I'm curious to hear details on that because I think Talk about potential Julian to read. Oh yeah, he said on day one he's going to pardon Julian Assange. Like, how amazing is that? Awesome is that a journalist that was just doing his job um, has been absolutely destroyed and dismantled? If you don't know anything about Julian Assange. Uh, I urge you to go look it up and read about it. Um, It's one of the, in my mind, most evil things that has been done to a person. Um, Whether you agree or not uh, is up to you, but to take some time to read about it. Um, And and I think that him standing up for him is is quite important and uh, quite an amazing feat. It's it's one of the clearest examples that the government is not on your side. Yeah. Uh, With what they did to Julian Assange. Julian Assange was a a journalist that published government secrets. Um, um, he didn't, and all it was is a, a journalist introducing some accountability for the government yeah. and, uh, the government response that he is to be destroyed and alienated and, uh, literally or figuratively put in a prison for the rest of his life, um, just shows that the government doesn't want accountability and they will destroy it's you. Constitutional. It, it's the opposite of what are the foundations of this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I mean, if, even if you're a super establishment person, you can see how evil that is. Um, and how like, uh, it's the, it's the bully that, that starts, he knows somebody knows, doesn't know, knows something about him that he doesn't want everybody to know. So he just starts discrediting um, this, the other person and telling him that, you know, his words don't mean anything. Like you're just an idiot. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and, and that's exactly what's going on here is that they're completely discrediting Ju- Julian Assange, a very credible person, simply because he shines some light on something that they didn't want him to know. It's, it's just being a bully. Yeah, I love that he mentioned he took the time to mention that day one. That's like one of the first things he's going to do. It's, yeah, it's, so it, it's, it, it's coherent with his other principles. So it just adds a credibility. Um, so what's what's missing, Devin? What uh, what what plank? should be added to this in um, what, what's he prioritizing that other candidates don't how would your think, list look different i mean I, th- I think he does a great job of, of laying out i think the order would be different if it was me like i said that the war and the civil liberty liberties are the most important um and i, I really think like the peace with the war is most important and i wish he highlighted that to a heavier extent um and, and put a more more detailed approach on um how he's going to do that which i think he will build out over the next uh, over the coming months um but other than that i mean it really does a good job of of encompassing what he's got to say 
um, and what are his most important key points. But I, I do think he uh, he doesn't speak a lot um, through this list about what makes him a uh, liberal, um, which I think for people that are on his side, uh, I, I wonder I wonder what they would what why they support him why why have people switched up from the new honest uh, liberal thought um, and what are some key points they agree with I assume are, are these things, um, but what are the the key factors that make him you know, your natural liberal other than this environmental, you know, key point. Mm -hmm. He did, he mentioned in revitalization, he mentioned, you know, government subsidies and support, yeah. you know, the welfare state yeah. stuff there. Um, yeah, but yeah, besides that, he doesn't have these uh, establishment nanny state kind of talking points on his platform, which is really encouraging. Definitely encouraging. What was missing for you that you thought um, out of the podcast that you heard that you thought maybe should, should be posted up here? Uh, it, there's all kinds of libertarian things that are missing, but uh, the two huge right. ones for me, he he briefly implied it with reducing incarceration, but he's missing the drug war, uh, ending mm -hmm. the drug war. Uh, I would say end the drug war, or maybe put that under peace, like end the foreign war and end the domestic war on drugs. Um, yeah. That's that's holding us back more than just about anything in this country. Uh, and then the other huge one is uh, I might call it fix the money. He doesn't have any mention of how much money has been printed. He doesn't talk about central banking. He doesn't talk about the national debt. He doesn't talk about Bitcoin, which he has. Didn't even think about which that. He I has, don't know how that. Yeah, scratched my mind. Which he um, he private. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure he would have included it too. But um, uh, it's a huge chunk that's just overlooked right now. But he, in interviews, he's and uh, endorsed might be a strong word, but he says he likes Bitcoin and he knows enough about it to. Say that the fact that a Democratic candidate right now is saying that they like Bitcoin and that it's freedom money is like insane. I, I'm I'm amazed Bitcoin didn't go up twenty thousand dollars on the day he said that. Um, yeah, he even he even went to went as far as saying it's it's important. Um, uh, it's an important part uh, of holding our our own financial um, economy uh, to its uh, you know its truest form. And so the the fact that he agrees with a lot of the things that we've put out about Bitcoin and, and built up this uh, belief system in it um, is extremely encouraging for a presidential candidate. And on the left, I would have never seen it coming. Right. So I wonder if that makes it in eventually or if it uh, fits into revitalization, maybe his, you know, d domestic economic ideas. Uh, so, yeah, I would have I would have end the wars at the top, domestic and foreign uh, civil liberties. You know, uh, the First Amendment's the most important one. And maintaining free speech and fix the money are all like right vying for first place up there. They're the things yeah. that are destroying us right now. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how we would change our six policy planks, but, um, Hey, he's a, he's a mainstream democratic candidate. The fact that we're not just, uh, the fact that we're complimenting him more Destroying. than we're uh, insulting him is, is still blows my mind. I can't believe that there's a non-zero chance that I'm bloating, voting for a blue tie Democrat in 2024. I'm not saying I will, yeah. but, uh, the fact that, Please. yeah, I never, ever would have guessed that six months ago. Yeah. I would have, I would have never thought, thought that at all. I thought, I thought maybe there'd be some Republican, um, you know, that's so free that they want to, uh, you know, uh, tear down tear down the governmental mm -hmm. policies and oh. stop using government institutions and uh, have a free, freer uh, economy um and and free up spending for businesses yeah, and just litigation so, they're so hopeless but, right now <laughs> but they aren't the other doubling down on this like 
they're fighting well, Disney. They're fighting culture wars instead of yeah. like being fiscally conservative. It's insane. They've become the woke as much as the left. It's, yeah, that's just their flavor of woke. It's so annoying. Exactly. Um, so um, we need to wrap up here soon. Uh, there's there's been so much to talk about. Um, what should we consider a victory for? the RFK Jr. campaign um, in a literal and a metaphorical sense. I think there's a couple answers there. I think the ultimate victory would be if he won. Um, I think that the victory would be that it pushes the United States um, into this new way of thinking. Um, one, I think it, it helps us all come together. Um, but also, I think it, it'll, it opens up this new way of thinking of questioning certain government institutions. Uh, it opens up this new way of thinking about whether or not questioning whether or not we should be at war, how much money we should be spending on war. Um, it, it starts questioning how much should we respect and um, and protect our civil liberties. And so I think it pushes us to a point where we start opening up to third party candidates and whether or not um, he has to run as a third party candidate this year, um, which I think could possibly be the, the biggest positive if he ends up running as a third party candidate. Uh, I I think there's ancillary wins in there, even if he doesn't, um, and he ends up winning on the Democratic ticket. I think that that would be uh, quite impactful to how we view politics and should open up new ideas of thought and questions of whether or not we should have a third party instituted in our normal political race. Yeah, I, I agree. There... What are your thoughts? on uh, what we consider a victory for you yeah i mean I, the literal obviously uh, uh i don't know if i consider it a personal victory for me if he wins right uh but him being a serious principled consistent candidate throughout his campaign uh is is a huge win for me waking up millions of people to uh, red pilling them really is you know realizing that the government is not your friend or that there are perverse incentives that uh that they claim to be for you and they're not like He's doing that in so many different ways. Um, I, I think he's he might be the person in the single best position to dismantle this pretty fake and propped up divide between the left and the right right now, or the Republicans and Democrats. Uh, he, he's extending an olive branch to both sides and demonizing neither and showing that he's more in touch with what I think American people are feeling and wanting right now than any political candidate in my lifetime outside of the great libertarians, I think. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that, that's what I consider a victory. It's going to be really interesting to see if he ends up running independent, who he supports, if he gets more vocal about Bitcoin, uh, if we get details on the drug war, um, it, how the media decides to emphasize, oh, he's anti-vax, so we're going to discredit all the good ideas that he has. Um, yeah. Will he be allowed to speak? I think Oh, him yeah, that too. ABC already will be the biggest victory. The biggest victory will be if they will have a debate um, between him and Biden or even between him and a Republican candidate. And the biggest impact might be, and I think you stated this yesterday in our own personal conversation, was this might be the opening up of uh, political debates happening on third party platforms outside of CNN, Fox News, MSNBC that they might be start taking place on uh, Lex Friedman's podcast, Joe Rogan's podcast, um, and, you know, uh, quite, uh, and seen by people that are, um, that are different and new to the political sphere. 
I totally agree. And yes, I did want to mention that. So thanks for bringing it up. Uh, he's, he's already done a great job of going on these, these internet shows, the, the, he's, um, non-traditional press. And I, I think this really might finally be the year that we don't, that the, the biggest ways that people learn about candidates and make their decisions on voting are finally maybe not going to be RNC and DNC supported official presidential campaigns with all of these arbitrary rules that get changed to block people out and have to happen on this news network at this time. And with these certain rules, and it just ends up being a shit show. Um, I hope they, the live audience component, we talked about this yesterday, the live audience component just has, you know, Trump played to the crowds and the press pretends that they hate it, but it actually gets them a bunch of eyeballs and clicks. So they play into it. And I just hope that RFK Jr. Uh, leads the charge on having long form, serious civil debates on non-traditional platforms. It's time. It's more than time. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that uh, it, it's been time for quite a long time and to see it um, starting to come to fruition is uh, quite a positive um, for me and a small victory, at least. Mm -hmm. we're, we're running short on time here and we want to wrap up. Uh, we we could make a whole episode out of this, but a, a question I wanted to pose to you guys and the, something that we're thinking about right now, and that's been implied through this whole conversation is, you know, how much overlap in, in a candidate's principles do you need in order to vote for him? Uh, it's, it's this lesser of two evils argument. Um, especially for, for libertarians and people that think like us, you know, if, if RFK Jr. is good on a few things, but, you know, statist in a few other ways, does that mean we still vote for him? Because he's got a, a bet, he's got a real chance unlike the likely libertarian candidate to win, or is it important to be principled? And even though he's good on some things, he's bad on other things. And you, you vote for a guy that's not going to win because you're sticking to your principles. I, um, it's something I continue to think about and go ahead. I think there's definitely like a, there, there is some line, sort of line when it reaches enough overlap where you definitely consider voting for somebody because of the amount of good. And I think it should also be in respect to what is the possible negative outcome uh, if you if they don't win. And I think here we're at an election where the possible negative outcome if if RFK doesn't win is the destruction of what we know as civilization here in the United States. That is at least up in the air, whether it's 1% or 10% or with the uh, ongoing Russian war and the economic collapse that seemingly um, is not slowing down. I think with those things, uh, those things obviously um, set to be a, an important um, part of, of the coming years. I, I think it's more important than ever that we have somebody uh, that is anti-war, that is um, that believes in creating a more stable economy. And I know he's anti-war and I just want to know, is he enough? Uh, is he enough? Does he have enough belief in how he can stabilize the economy and um, tear down certain um, institutions tear down certain rules that are wasting and um, creating, making our money inefficient. Um, and if he can, then I think he gets my vote. And if he, if he cannot prove that to me, then I don't think he's any better than anyone else just with a really good um, idea about war. But we've seen in the past that they don't necessarily have all the control over that. Um, so uh, that that's where my line is. Uh, where do you kind of have the line at? Mm, it's something I, continue to evaluate. And I think this situation is so different from all the other elections that uh, 
it's something I'm going to try to stay humble about and keep evaluating. I'm, I'm way less motivated or I, I have this natural aversion to people voting for somebody so that the other person doesn't get in. I think that right. leads to a, to quote an old South Park episode, a giant douche and turd sandwich type election. <laughs> uh, you're just picking the slightly less worse candidate and that, that, that just lowers the bar for the future. For the you know, it keeps us heading yeah. towards the cliff, you know? So um, that's why that makes me want to knee jerk react and say, no, principled votes are nothing. Um, but we'll see how this, we'll see how this shapes up. Um, we, we mentioned this on the, the mailbag episode, um, you know, a dream presidential cabinet. I think what will be a huge factor in Kennedy's success is who he decides to surround himself with. And that right. might earn or uh, rule out my vote is if I get a sense that he's going to surround himself with a bunch of um, establishment people, they're going to take him away from his principles, then uh, then he's useless. Uh, but if he really brings in this diverse panel of experts and takes them seriously and forms a good opinion based on the experts he surrounds himself with, I think that supercharges him. We'll see how it plays out, man. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it, you can necessarily not not vote for somebody if they have enough of the you're never going to agree with every single part of someone's um you know belief uh, system and not every part of their politics um, but there are certain libertarian candidates that i think i would favor over him currently um and so to be clear getting, there, i don't think there's a single libertarian that's officially launched a presidential campaign yet yeah, you guys like, know so uh we're, we're talking about the people that are rumored to run or that could run yeah, they're, they're possible candidates um, that I think I would get really excited about. Um, even like Dave Smith, if he ran, like mm -hmm. that would, I think, change my mindset about it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, I, with that outstanding, um, the way it's set up right now, uh, I think that that he would be able to garnish my vote. Like I said, if he would just stay true to what he has to say and set up a cabinet, like you said, that that agrees with what he's been saying, what agrees with his principles and and just making sure that he doesn't set up a candidate, a ca cabinet that looks like he's just trying to get more votes, um, because then I think that throws all of these positives that we've outlaid on this podcast that throws those out of the window because then he becomes no better than anybody else. Because then that shows me that he's going to, when he's president, make decisions based off of how to get more votes because he did that uh, in the predisposition of his presidential candidacy. Yep. We mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, how much we love hearing from you guys. And we've gotten some really cool feedback. So I want to toss like this kind of deep question at you. Um, we would love to hear from you. How do you guys decide, you know, how, how much overlap do you need with a political candidate? Even if you disagree with them on some important things, do you need to vote for them? And how do you look at the lesser of two evils problem? Um, and how are you thinking about that for 2024? And then comments about anything else that we've talked about too. If we've, if, if there's something you love or hate about RFK Jr. that we, that we missed, or that you think is really important to introduce to the discussion, um, I'd love to hear what six planks that you would have for your platform uh, if you were prioritizing. So um, the way you can do that is uh, hit us up on, on Twitter, Instagram. I think our audience is small enough. You can freaking text us. We're friends with a lot of you guys. So, um, uh, and we had really a lot of fun doing a mailbag episode here recently, and we're going to do another one soon, but we would love to get to, uh, mailbag episodes that aren't fake as soon as possible. So we love hearing from you guys. What questions do you have for us and feedback um, in there? Uh, we've been going about an hour and a half now, so want to wrap it up. Any final thoughts, Dev? 
Uh, no, I think that you outlined it perfectly. Can't wait to hear uh, more from from you guys and, and to give you guys kind of uh, more of what you guys are looking for. So let us know uh, maybe where you think we've messed up, uh, certain things that maybe you don't agree with. Um, and, um, you know, we'll stick true to our beliefs, but we still want to hear what's out there. And and we've never made up our minds until we hear all of the facts. Um, so feel free to, to come to us with any information uh, that you may have. Um, if there's something that you like, something that you dislike, uh, bring that up to us and, and we'll make sure uh, to include it as part of one of our podcasts. Absolutely. Uh, exciting, exciting news on the on the horizon here. We're narrowing in on some guests and um, some different podcast episode ideas so there's a lot of cool stuff around the corner and it's been really encouraging so far so um we'll call it there we'll, we'll see you guys next week um this is a fun one thanks dad yeah thanks man see you guys bye everybody <laughs>